Welcome to another episode of Wheel Adventures. This is episode 10, and it's been a while since I've posted another episode, and we've been not going out very much. It's been a while since we've gotten out in our vehicle and done exploring, but today we're going to talk about, uh, the title of the episode is Winter Landing, and we're going to talk about some of our experiences in getting away during the winter months and we generally leave um, around this time between now and just before Christmas we head to Arizona and uh, and we have the past few years we have been doing exploring doing overlanding in various locations and uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about about what that's like and where we've gone and uh, um, so where do you go when it's cold and where you live the roads are not conducive not passable to to uh to traversing maybe we should start with just acknowledging that our journeying lately has been more inward as we've been in kind of full caregiving mode with our senior elder pup uber elder pup wiley and that has kept us. We've made the decision to stay home and not be wrangling the little man in and out of our van and in and out of our sailboat, which had been our hope for this winter to head back to Florida. Hurricane Ian also really put the kibosh on our playtime in the sense of so many people displaced down there and so much devastation didn't seem right for us to go and add our uh, different value system um, to the mix. Yeah, let's go enjoy ourselves <laughs> while people are struggling to survive. Right. That would be fun. <laughs> I mean, a situation like that kind of, uh, from some that I've heard about the situation down there, has created a, aspects of what third world life might be like for people. And here we are with our very first world uh, issues and concerns and values and it just feels pretty insensitive and entitled to show up and not be there to help but instead to be pursuing our quality of life so yeah we are home and we are experiencing winter and the highs and lows uh, and just being with Wiley on a daily basis, um, on an hourly basis. for He has dementia, and he has um, no hearing and very little sight, and, um, and pretty much needs help eating his meals, or at least encouragement to eat his meals. And he doesn't seem to be in, in too much pain, which would be the sign for most of us that the time has come. And so it's just sort of a, an extended period of being with someone who's very old and very beloved. And how do you how do you hold that? Yeah, we don't want to stress them. As a matter of fact, you know, we're I'm planning on doing a lot more backcountry skiing this winter, and I enjoy most going with Renge. She's my favorite ski partner. But uh, we're kind of I'm kind of reluctant to leave him unattended we have a, a security 
camera thing called a canary that when we're out doing our exercise walk for like an hour or so, I can watch and see if he needs anything, if he's trying to get down or if he's pacing around and needs to go out. So anyways, that's a whole other subject. So yeah, the, I mean, there's when the snow happens around here, it kind of limits. There's certain places we could still go, but it's uh, on the the coastal range it can be rainy and the roads can get really muddy and that's damaging to the four-wheel drive roads the logging roads so we generally try not to do that and uh, around here in eastern Oregon the roads can definitely get muddy or snowy or impassable so like I said if you live someplace where the roads aren't like that then you may not have to travel very far if you live in places on the east coast in uh, Georgia or north in the Carolinas, north South Carolina, whatever, uh, you may be in a position where you can still get out and, and enjoy some of the routes that you've done or you, you want to do. When we've gone to Arizona and Southern California, well, we have, uh, we, uh, I'll go through some of the routes that we have done. Uh, we've done the Camino del Diablo, which is along the Mexican border. It goes from Utah, uh, Utah, Yuma, Yuma, Arizona, from Utah, Arizona, uh, from Yuma, Arizona to Ajo, Arizona. It's, um, I'm trying to remember how long it is. I think it was, I brought up a thing on the computer as to how long the trail is. I, I want to say, say it, like 156 miles or something. Yeah, I think it was around, a, it, it, depending on like which route you take, because there's some variations on the route that you can do. Um, we've done it a couple of different ways. We've gone from uh, from Ajo to, from, from east to west, from Ajo to Yuma and vice versa. Both are good ways to go. Uh, it doesn't really matter too much. It's not terribly technical, but you really shouldn't attempt it without a four-wheel drive vehicle. It gets quite sandy. And if you do what we did the first year we did it going from Yuma to Ajo, there's a route. that It's actually the old route. We didn't realize it was the old route, and there was a newer route where we they both kind of diverge from a point within about a mile of each other, just kind of down the street. Uh, we took the route through Fortuna, Fortuna Fortuna Mine, that's what it's called. And that got pretty rocky, and uh, it's the only time, I think, on the whole route that I ever had you spot to get through. You're dealing more with sand than anything else. Several years ago, the um, uh, during the Trump administration, they he wanted to put a uh, border fence in along the whole way uh which i guess if you grow up in a in a mansion and you you the your only experience of nature is on uh, golf courses you don't realize that there are things like arroyos canyons cliffs big mountains mountains big fucking mountains (laughs) um yeah and so you really i mean there are places where we've been several times on a number of different routes right down at the Arizona-Mexico border where we've been at the wall and the wall just stops because you can't put a wall in any further because, uh, uh, well, geology, geography, topography intervenes. 
and people can just walk right around it. I mean, you can't put a wall there, but you can just kind of scramble around it. It's no big deal. Other places we've been where there is no wall, um, there is just like kind of a low barbed wire-ish fence, not even razor wire, that is uh, on sticks above just kind of a rock fence that essentially anybody can, I mean, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to really seal a border in places like this because um, these, this one place down at the southern, uh, southern end of the Arizona backcountry discovery route, we were going along and it's like, you know, there's roads on both sides, on the Mexican side and the Arizona side, dirt roads. Anybody could just drive along and stop and meet somebody, you know, arranged by phone or radio and just throw bags of drugs right over <laughs> right over the fence. I mean, the fence isn't that high. It was like no higher than me maybe less, you know, five or six feet. So yeah, it's, it's um, challenging, I think, to, to uh, consider trying to seal off a border. Uh, you can spend throwing off a lot of money at it like it has been and, and really not get anywhere. So the Camino del Diablo is, um, has got a real variety of terrain. It, uh, it is called the Devil's Highway for a reason, because uh, as many as possibly as many as two thousand people over a period of over a thousand years have died on it. So they, that's why they call it the Devil's Highway, because if you're not careful, it'll make you pay with your life. So, <laughs> so uh, from the little bit of reading that <clears throat> that I've done about that, I think that many of those deaths. Um, you would think that people could traverse, would have traversed back in the day during the cooler weather so they didn't die from heat and lack of water, but apparently the um, Native Americans who lived along there, the the Native It was a trade route, actually, yeah. Yeah, and there were marauding parties and so on, probably pissed off people who didn't want the lot of you traipsing through their backyard, but... Anyway, I think that there were uh, the the travelers, many of whom. Uh, anyway, I think that they ended up trying to pick the best time of year when they were least likely to be killed by all the different possible murderous aspects, and and still, so many people lost their lives. Really, a tough, uh, hard. It gets very hot. Land, even in the winter, it can get hot. And it also got pretty cold when we were there at yeah. times, and that's another thing about Arizona is that we have uh, we've gone south for to get a, escape the winter and the snow and the colder weather. But there have been times in Arizona that I've looked on my iPhone at the uh, temperature in Central Oregon, like in Bend, and it was actually warmer at night or <laughs> during the day. It's not very often, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it can get chilly. So you, you need to plan for that if you're going down there. I do just want to add one thing to that, which is I, it was so noteworthy for us. It was the one time that we were in Tucson. We spent many winters around in, in Tucson. And it, we woke up to snow on the ground and all over the saguaro and other cacti. And it just was so sweet. And in Benson once, too. 
We had snow in Benson okay. once we woke up, and it was blizzarding. Oh my which gosh! Is weird. I'd forgotten that, but yeah. the Tucson wind was just so incredible. We were there at Dust, Dustin's Diamond J or Justin's Justin's Diamond J. I'm forgetting the name Just, of it. Yeah, Justin's Diamond J. Justin's Jay. Diamond J. Yeah, next to Desert Trails Campground. Yeah. Yes, those two are both worthy of staying at and checking out. Um, and because you were backed by so many acres of beautiful desert that you can, with tons of walking, hiking trails. and Mountain biking, too. Really mountain good mountain biking. Bike, single track that goes off into as technical as you want it or as mild as you want it. Old as long lines. as you don't... Um, as long as you don't shoulder shoulder check a saguaro. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, but getting back to Camino, uh, the uh, there's only one place where there's water, and they're called the t- tanks, the um, Tanejas Altas tanks, and it's um, those are natural. They're those are yeah natural rock pools. They're rock pools, in the and there's like five or six of them in stacked up this one spot uh, on these rocks that are kind of slick rocky. They're they're similar to like rocks that I've seen in uh, uh, in in Southern California. What's the name of the um, national park? The oh god, it's slipping my mind. Yeah, definitely near Borrego Springs, but the other one, the big one. I, I always forget the name of it. Anyways, um, big tanks. People have fallen in them and drowned because they couldn't get out, which kind of ruins the water supply. Um, <laughs> they weren't super good. clear looking. They were kind of skanky. Um, yeah. But, I mean, y- y- you know, if you're dying of thirst, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a little diarrhea is probably the least of your problems. It's that but, or suck a saguaro, and that has its own challenges. Yeah, yeah. It's also uh, considered a really, it's not really popular. We've never seen any bicycle, uh, bike packers, mountain bikers doing this route, but it is one of the routes that I've wanted to do uh, using, a, you really want to use a fat bike because of the amount of sand. You really can't ride it. With, there's two long ex, uh, sections of pretty soft sand. As a matter of fact, even with my fat bike, I think it would be, a lot of work pedaling through. There's not a lot of elevation gain and loss. We do go. We did go over a couple of passes. Uh, they're not real tall passes, but uh, it's not like thousands of feet. But uh, it could be challenging just trying to push through that. Uh, you definitely want to air down if you have. If you don't normally air down for your overlanding excursions off road, you definitely want to do that for the sandy stuff. It makes it a lot safer to get through although the person we went with when we did it the last time with our friend patrick he was driving his ford f-150 four-wheel drive unmodified box stock with all-terrain with the same wild peak tires that i had and i don't think he ever dropped he never dropped his pressure at all he's just refused to and he got through everything he didn't get stuck but you could get stuck uh if you weren't careful i was thinking that um in addition to the sand, which goes in and out of being deep and quite deep and not so deep, huh, there are also places where there are, it's more rocky, a few places like that. And I'm wondering, in the places where there's sand, it's still real sandy off of the road, or is that sand coming from just being churned up by all the cars? And could you, as a fat biker with some goo in your tires against 
um, yeah, cac- you definitely cactus, want to go thorns. Uh, I'm wondering if you could go off the trail. You want to have sealant. You want to go tubeless. Um, I don't know. I don't know because when we've done it, we've only we've only uh, four wheel driven it, but. Um, yeah, it's and there's some wonderful places to camp. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, there was an additional place to get water. Remember where we camped, where the the that water tank was, where we were. We kind of went down into the tules there, and parked. Um, I think it was the first campsite that we got to. The first night that we started in there from Aho with Patrick, we stayed at Oregon. Uh, not Oregon. Oregon Pipe. Right, National right. Mine, not organ pipe, <laughs> yeah. uh, organ pipe. And that's a really beautiful spot. That's but we so continued gorgeous. down the road and got to that place where you guys were hiking up in the moonlight. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, I believe there was a water tank there that you could fill up. That's right. So there's two places. There's that wasn't wind. there thousands of years ago, of course. Right. There are some humanitarian water Yeah, there were water drops and food drops marked blue with, lights with or blue, blue lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so for uh, for people that are coming over the border illegally, there's so they don't die, which you know, is awesome. We've never been down there. Well, I don't remember being down there in at least not out there during a time when there's been rain. But the the wild thing, I think, one of the wild things about the desert is you're either going from that extreme deprivation of moisture to if you do get some rains you may get really dangerous flooding so then you can have all the water you need but nowhere to put it so i'm just reading that there's like 65 graves along the way Mm. fun fun fact (laughs) uh and um you know i think i was wrong about it being uh it, it maybe it was a trade route but it was uh, like thousands of years ago, but it was put through uh, by Captain Malachor uh, Diaz in fifteen forty, long time ago. Spanish expedition, way back when, uh, accompanied by native guides, and uh, there was a Jesuit priest along the way. Can't pronounce his name because I'm terrible at Spanish. So it's worth doing, definitely. Um, if you start from the Ajo side or finish from the Ajo side, uh, there's a, a really good restaurant, uh, Mexican food there uh, to hit before you start or when you finish. Do you remember the name of it? Something Family Restaurant. I'm blanking on it right yeah, now. Yeah, shoot. Yeah, yeah Anyways. it's a good place. Although yeah. it has new ownership. Remember when we were there, it wasn't yeah, yeah. as fantastic. It was okay. Yeah, that's right. The first time we went yeah, there, it was, first time it was, was really mind-blowing. Good and they sold. Yeah. But, you know, I uh, maybe we should just talk about, should we talk about why people might want to do this route? Because, I mean, it's it's not it's only very isolated. historic. It's very quiet. It's very peaceful. It's huge variety of terrain, driving conditions. Beautiful, uh, beautiful vistas, wildlife. Um, actually, one of the coolest wildlife sightings we had was on our first trip on the Camino heading west to east and driving along, driving along, driving along, and we ran into a, um, was he, uh, 
He wasn't Border Patrol. He was Fish and Game. Fish and Wildlife. Fish and Wildlife, yeah. And uh, he stopped and... Actually, he stopped because we had stopped because there was a coyote that trotted out in front of the vehicle and not only didn't try to get away from us, was actively looking to engage with us, which we found very odd and wondered about rabies. And then when he came along, he he agreed that it was the closest sighting he'd ever had and that he said that there had been a um, wall maintenance or a road maintenance crew well, had, they were, yeah, when they were putting the wall yeah, in. Yeah, that had been they were feeding him within some distance her. from there and yeah. had been feeding her. And and uh, so there's some just fascinating exploration to be had about what happens to the wildlife when they're treated like that and they raise their babies to think that people are the way to go. And this might even have been the baby of one of a mother that was... Fed by the yeah, it was campers. pretty small. As young seemed, but we should mention that there's also uh, permits needed. There, you need a permit to go through the Cabeza Pieta uh, National Wildlife Refuge, and that's on the Ajo side, on the eastern side. And you need a, a permission from uh, because they do um, um, military bombing. It's a bombing range, basically, and you don't want to get bombed. Um, they bomb you if you don't well, get a permit. <laughs> You're seen as... <laughs> when we were camped at that pass, I think we got pretty bombed. We had some really good mezcal, and I think <laughs> we got pretty bombed. But, uh, um, yeah, so you need to get permits. And the other thing I was going to mention about the uh, about the route is the first, I think, 30 miles or so, all the way out to the turn to go out to the interstate uh, I-10 is, uh, I think it's called Welton, the, the, the turn for Welton to go north, um, just a bit past there. The, uh, the wall construction meant that they had to essentially just really devastate the route. It used to be a one-lane, basically double track, and now it's about as wide as a three-lane highway. But it is still and it's in graded. the desert. And yeah, it's, it's still, still beautiful, still worth doing. But all just the nature, the first bit of it, it's just not what it was. It yeah, the not. first first bit of it is yeah. just graded dirt road, and it doesn't have that that kind of uh, original character that the route had. <clears throat> so another um, another thing that we have done uh, a couple of times is. Uh, we have started down at the Mexican border and gone north on the Arizona backcountry discovery route, which is, uh, which is a beautiful route. It starts just, starts just west of Tombstone. You use the Butler maps to do it, and uh, you can download the GPX files, which I've done on our Gaia maps. And headed north, um, generally we try, uh, you, you're kind of limited because as you start to get to central Arizona, you're kind of limited by the weather and the snow in Arizona because once you start getting close to the Muggione Rim north of Phoenix, uh, Camp Verde, that area, once you start climbing up uh, until you, you know, it goes towards 
Flagstaff. Flagstaff has got winter. It's got, you know, they have ski areas. It's snow. So generally, we, we've always tried to stay below that line where uh, we're, we're staying in, in more moderate weather conditions and temperatures. But to do the southern half of that Arizona backcountry discovery route is, is interesting. We, a few years ago, we met somebody, uh, befriended somebody who had a, uh, it, she didn't have a four-wheel drive. It was a, it was a, maybe it was all-wheel drive. It was Ford Escape. That's right. I think it was all-wheel drive, but she has crappy ground clearance, like a newer Ford Escape. And we invited him, invited her to go along thinking, oh, you know, we've done parts of this before, like Reddington Road, up towards Reddington Pass and so forth. It's uh, it's pretty easy. And, and she really didn't have too much trouble, but we had to, a couple of places where we were paralleling a railroad track, I remember, the route would go through these arroyos and there was one place where the van got through pretty easily, but it was a very steep rocky rutted out climb uh, fortunately near this railroad track there were a bunch of old railroad ties and we were able to all grab them and fill in the gap so she could actually get over it without tearing the undercarriage of her vehicle apart we were in the hummer that's right yeah we were in the hummer and we and had that big tent out the back that was so cold the um, we, we were pulling the crux no, we weren't pulling the Crux trailer. We had the rooftop tent, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had the rooftop yeah. top tent. It was a fold. It was a fold. Yeah, that's tent. right. Yeah, and we it, had the Hummer H3. Then. It had an unnatural uh, temperature to it, so it was always colder inside that tent than it was outside. Yeah, it was haunted. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a bit of poltergeist activity <laughs> mixed in there. Um, so yeah, the so those Butler maps, the um, the lower part of the of the Arizona backcountry discovery route is is worth doing. We also uh, used some. Well, I I we retraced some of the bike packing routes that I've done. There's as I've mentioned in the episode about navigation. If you kind of think outside of the box and look at what, uh, for example, bike packers do. There's a there's a wonderful website called bikepacking.com. And there are routes listed for all over the world, but you can get specific for U.S. Uh, course, but you can also get more specific to regions for the Southwest. And I did uh, two bikepacking routes called the Sky Island Odyssey route. There's an east loop and a west loop, and we, we did a bunch of that, and that's hundreds of miles. I bikepacked it a few years, about three years ago, and uh, we came back, and twice we've gone on sections of that and done variations of it and and uh gotten hundreds of miles of uh of a beautiful loop and really gorgeous country and explored off that route other roads that kind of would tangentially take off from there and explored what they were like so that's that's another uh way to go um when we have spent time with our big motor home we we would be in quartzite sometimes for as long as several weeks uh, we have explored, we've done some multi-day trips in um, uh, the Kofa wilderness area. And there's a lot of roads in there uh, to explore. Uh, the Arizona Peace Trail goes for 900 miles from the Mexican border north. And once again, you run into, eventually, you're going to run into some pretty 
cold, snowy weather. But uh, that's really popular with side-by-side vehicles. And it uh, is quite a few sections that are really technical. So it's probably not an ideal thing to do with a vehicle like our four-wheel drive sportsmobile van. We've done parts of it that are that are pretty mild, but I know there's some of it that gets really steep, really narrow, and really technical. So you might be better equipped doing something like that with, uh, you know, with a side-by-side or with a, a Jeep or a FJ Cruiser or uh, something that is equipped more for bordering on rock crawling. Another route that uh, we have wanted to do and have yet to do, I keep meaning to do it. I've wanted to do it with some friends, uh, over people that we have overlanded with or run into, but we still haven't gotten around to it. A couple of years, the weather conditions, the road conditions didn't allow for it. What that route is uh, called uh, the Mojave Trail, and that runs for about 150 miles, about similar distance to to the um, Camino del Diablo. And that starts over basically just kind of just south, uh, north of north of Quartzsite and south of Parker, Arizona, over near. Um, but there are maps out there for it. It goes through the Mojave Preserve. There's a lot of videos online showing what the route looks like. There's a lake called Soda Lake that's a dry lake lake bed. But if there's been rain, it can turn into a kind of a nightmare, uh, just a quagmire. So you drive through it when there's no water in it? Yeah, you have to do it when it's dry. And uh, it's, yeah, well, uh, the, the, the National Park Service posts the conditions. So you, they'll, they'll say that it's passable or not. And there's, a, there's kind of a classic Afton, I think it's called Afton Water Crossing near the end on the west side of it that I think they've changed it. It used to be, you know, it would come up to like mid-door level to get through, but they were doing some construction over there. So once again, the route, that route has been changed, so it's not quite as challenging and exciting to to get through uh, without your car stalling in the in the middle of it if you don't have a snorkel. So that's that's another route to to explore. Heading a bit north of that and a little more west is Death Valley, and we have done some extraordinary exploring in Death Valley. One of our favorite day day trips is to go the to drive the Titus Canyon route, which is designated as four wheel drive, but we've run into people with really inappropriate vehicles, and I'm just flabbergasted because some of this stuff has really steep drop-offs and steep descents and they're rocky it's one way great (laughs) and they do it you know they they get they see they must get through it but uh i've seen them in vehicles that i wouldn't i wouldn't have pushed the luck my luck with and if Um, you get stuck or break down in one of those vehicles well in any vehicle you will literally block the, the road for everybody yeah nobody else gets by nobody can get by so it's both exasperating and amusing, and because you know inspiring. these people really have never really gone uh, taken these. I don't know that, and that could be part of why they are doing it. Is some minimal of them SUVs off road? They have skills. They have mad skills themselves, and they're like, I can do it in this. So well, I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Another route that we have done is a kind of a real long back road route to get to Saline Valley. 
you know, we've put in hundreds of miles that way and come out at uh, Lone Pine, Ridgecrest, Lone Pine, those areas. Be prepared for a fuck ton of washboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you want to probably lock up any weapons that you have because about halfway through, you're going to want to put a bullet in your head. (laughs) (laughs) It is anus. It's a lot. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely want to air down. But, I mean, you're you're really crawling unless you've got uh, reservoir shocks galore on a vehicle with a lot of clearance and you've aired down and you have 37-inch tires on your jeep and you can just skip along on top of it but uh in our vehicle it doesn't work that way um yeah as a matter of fact on the camino the washboard was so bad that literally i could not drive this is down out towards the western end as you're getting out towards yuma thank I god think, it was the last day oh god it was because it was it insane was awful it's patrick could go a little bit in. faster in his pickup truck but our van weighs a ten thousand pounds yeah and i have good they're not reservoir shocks but i've got good you know high performance off-road bilsteins on it but when I tried to go faster than, like faster than a fast walk of about three miles an hour, four miles an hour, we were we were pounding like to the bump stop, it mm-hmm. in our suspension so thoroughly that I it, it, I knew something was going to break. At one point, I I got out. I wanted to feel how hot the shocks were, and they were too hot to touch. So I let them cool down for about twenty minutes, and then we proceeded at about three miles an hour, and it was a section. It, I mean, it was, it was like four or five miles long, yeah. and I think that it was created because a lot of side by siders that we had run into, they were flying through, so they would skip over these these washboards like moguls, and um, and and it just created a a frequency that was not conducive to going any faster than just walking speed. In our van. So but several all. years before, when we had gone the other direction, we weren't on that route. We oh, went the we Fortuna. Didn't yeah, that's do that part. That's yeah. No. You're actually probably better going on the Fortuna Fortuna Mine yes. route, the old Cam- Camino route, the rocky than the new one that's route. been. It's graded, but but incredible. When we did it, it was hasn't hadn't been graded in a long time, and it was absurdly washboard. I mean the. The worst washboard I've ever seen in a lifetime of being on washboard. Yeah. Uh, What um, forums or what have you might you send people to look at? For it'd be great to be able to know what to expect. You know, there's um, overlandbound.com has message boards. People that do routes frequently will post, oh, I just did it, and I ran into this or that. So you may get some information or not that way. Expedition Portal is another is another uh, forum for uh, what people have done and what they've experienced. So you can check into those that way. So, um, yeah, those are, those are all things that you can do, you know, in addition to things we haven't done. Consider Anza Borrego. And uh, uh, Trona Pinnacles, those are two areas we haven't been to in Southern California. There's a lot to do in Southern California. That's just a couple more. 
you could spend the entire winter just exploring uh, Death Valley. You know, even just going out that west side road that we did is is not technical, but it's it's still really interesting. Just the sightseeing, the the diversity of of uh, geology and elevation. You know, from the lowest to the highest. Mount Whitney is right there. The Panamint Mountains go up to fourteen thousand feet, and then you're looking up at them from the uh, from the floor of the valley there in in Badwater. That's hundred and is it like hundred and twenty feet below sea level, something like that. Are you going to tell them about the oasis in Death Valley that we went to? Oh, the same Saline Valley Hot Springs. That's the best part of. Yeah, that's why you should endure <laughs> right the washboard to Saline Valley. The views and are not kill yourself before you get there because it's really worth it. The the yes. Hot Springs o- Oasis is like something out of a dream. Yeah, it's like Palm something. Trees oh my god! And it's different pools and yeah. what all donkeys. What more uh, yeah, could you ask wild, for? Uh, yeah. Hot wild, water, naked women. Wild donkeys. Wild donkeys. Yes. It was very cool. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, we spent several days there. We parked near one pool that was, it wasn't a hot pool. It was a cold pool, cold pool, mm-hmm. which was really nice to take a break from yeah. all of the hot soaking, the hot mineral water. and uh, We were there in the spring, weren't we? Wasn't it March? I think it was March, yeah. So it was already getting pretty warm, and I'd suggest if you go that time of year, or certainly any time later uh, into, this, into the spring, uh, be sure you have lots of water. Well, you could fill up water there, right? Could we get water? Was there spring There water? was water that you could get, but it was real minerally. Oh, okay. So, but yeah. just really uh, have a care for um, sunblock and shade and, yeah, really think twice about your pets if you bring them. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is an oasis, but I don't think you could have dogs in among the palm trees and the pools. I think he had to stay in the car. Yeah, van. well, he had to stay in the van. Yeah. And just having lots of good, good shade. Tarps and whatever. Awnings. Yeah. Yeah. Fans. If you're offended by n- naked old people, don't go. <laughs> right. You can't guarantee it's the young hotties who will be there. Yeah. Although if you go on the weekend, you're probably more likely to see them. But if you go midweek like us, we try to stay away from the parties. Yeah. So that's uh, those are a few ideas for you for winter landing. And uh, hope you can uh, find some adventuring during we, the cold months. And we is there about, something else you wanted well, to say? Well, should we talk about Florida another another time? Well, we, we did have that episode on when we went to Florida. And we talked about doing the Swanee River. That wasn't overlanding per se, although we were driving over land uh, and a lot of it. Um, we did some off-road stuff when we got home from Florida, when we got to Arizona and we met Patrick, we, um, we, uh, one of the things, places we didn't mention, which is, is limited in size is the dragoons. Oh yes. That's one, one of, of our favorites. It's just like east of tombstone. Yeah. And, um, it's on a wide graded road to get up there. And then once you get to the dragoons themselves, there's, there's some beautiful washboard. rock formations. 
it's called the there's an area in there called the Cochise stronghold. Yeah, so the history is, there is remarkable. It's stunning. And uh yeah, you can drive way up. You know, you not you can camp there, but you can go further along the road. You don't really need four-wheel drive, but it's it gets a little rough. So you it's ideal to have it uh in a few places. It's dispersed camping there. Dispersed camping, yeah. yeah. You don't need a permit Free. or anything. And yeah. we always have been able to find a spot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rocks are just so gorgeous. So like the feminine energy of these curving, big, beautiful rocks is really, really special. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. So go. Get in your vehicle right now. <laughs> you and could. You could. Yeah. Put yeah. some clothes in and your, uh, your, you know, your toothbrush and head south because it's definitely worth it. Thanks for joining us with, uh, with Ringay and I and uh, uh, good adventures to you. Happy journeys. <laughs>